This podcast episode is brought to you by Awesome Hazelnuts. Welcome guys, welcome back to another episode of the Dad's Game Podcast. It is a beautiful Sunday morning, Singapore time, and I have yet to complete my ranked weekend. Reason being is because I'm trying to wait out probably until the night time and during Monday morning to possibly complete the 25 games. I'm currently sitting at 7 wins out of 10. And I'm pretty much aiming to get 20 wins out of 25, which I think is pretty realistic. There's something that which I learned from playing the past month of weekend rank. It is usually the first day, which is Friday night all the way to Saturday morning. It's where the action usually happens. Everybody's recalibrated back to 1,300 rating. And the games tend to be harder. That depends on what your current ELO was when it resets. So for the past two weeks, I've been reset at around 1,600 ELO, which is sitting at around the top 100 players in the Mythic rank or in general in Ghost Unchained. And I will say that I would stand a pretty good chance against the better players this week. Learning more about the mechanics, trying to refine the way I play the game. Unfortunately, I do not have a very complete collection. And I will still be liable to getting destroyed by an opponent which has a better nature deck. Some of them have Chiron, Selina, and most importantly, Underbrush Ball. I can't stress the importance of certain cards in the game, which are way better than the other cards which are in the same cost factor. Especially when I look at Underbrush Ball, it seems pretty damn strong. There is in fact a way better Black Jaguar. But that's more that I will cover in today's episode. You can see from today's episode, it is the craziest cards in Ghost Unchained. I believe that, like I mentioned in the last episode, there are some cards which are insanely powerful. Some of them really got nerfed. But in general, I would say that for a game that is only out for 2 years, with 4 current expansions, they are still trying to refine and make the cards more balanced for a much better gameplay. I do know that some players are saying that, oh, there are some common cards which are designed that way to give the newer players a chance stand up against the older players who own the better cards. That's a good argument. But the thing is that all those older cards are already being nerfed or I would say balanced already and from God's Unchained standpoint I don't think that they will be nerfing those cards or trying to change those cards again because those cards that belong to those older expansions will no longer be reprinted into existence which means that the cap, the market cap or the amount of cards circulating for that specific card for example, Pyramid Warden, Demogorgon, has already been set at that amount. I do not know whether Gods Unchained will be releasing more copies of those cards, but I'll definitely be keeping a lookout because I'm trying to get up cheap copies of Demogorgon and Pyramid Warden because I realize that those two cards are very important regardless of what deck you're building. They are very powerful neutral cards which will potentially be key pieces if you're trying to play competitive. The only thing I can say is that if you're planning to play tournaments, trying to compete for championships, I don't know that there will be a world tournament coming up soon. If you do not even have Demogorgon or Pyramid Warden, I would say the chances of you making past the open rounds will be tough. I do not know the format which the world tournament will be. Highly likely they'll be going for some draft kind of format because knowing that the guy behind this game is from Magic the Gathering, I can pretty much confirm that or speculate the format will most likely not be constructed, it will most likely be a sealed deck format, very similar to the arena mode in Hearthstone, the expedition mode in Legends of Runeterra, 
And I would say, I can't remember what the format is called in Magic the Gathering. But in Yu-Gi-Oh! there is no sealed format. We have different band lists here and there. The game changes every six months. And I, in, if I'm not mistaken, the game changes every quarter now. Do not know, I've not played a game in a while. And so, before I start today's topic, I would like to talk about the market crash, right? Everyone knows that Bitcoin crashed because the Fed announced that they'll be tapering, which means that they'll be raising interest rate, which also means that there will not be easy lines of credit anymore because you have to pay interest on it, which means that a lot of speculative stuff such as cryptocurrencies unfortunately will be taking a dump. And I did notice that the God's token has dropped significantly. And so you might be asking, what is my strategy regarding cryptocurrency and here and that? I would say that I got in pretty early, around 2020. And so whatever I bought then is still in a profitable margin from there. I have been looking or I've been actively looking at yield farming for the past two years. And so most of my earnings have been locked up. I'm trying to just generate passive stuff here and there. Trying to look at early projects getting to IDOs ever since then. And so for me, I wouldn't be liquidating anything at all. I do have some stuff that I'm speculating on. I'm quite public with what I am currently holding. I'm holding Gem Guardians, Titan Arena. And what else am I holding? Yeah, I'm holding PYR, Mice of Dalania. Anything other than that, I would say it doesn't really pick the interest of people who are in cryptocurrency because I'm not here to talk about cryptocurrency. I'm here to talk about God's Unchained. But a lot of people are currently trying to liquidate whatever they have, which will eventually cause a big crash. Because I do notice that a lot of the cryptocurrencies are paired to the BTC pairing, which means that if BTC drops, everything will be sold because of the stop-loss thing that they put on the exchanges. That's given so because you do, you do not really want to over-leverage or just have too much risk when you're buying stuff. And so my thing is that if you're listening to this and you're very upset about the crash because you just got in here and there, you do know that cryptocurrency will potentially make you move up in terms of your financial position. I would say that don't worry too much. I believe that you'll rebound again because we're in speculative mania and nothing will end until it crashes all the way upwards to the point in which inflation might be more than 10%, which is currently in Singapore because the prices of eggs and salmon, salmon, yes, salmon, went up by 10%, guys. And in Singapore, they're announcing that a lot of the things are going get getting more expensive. Electricity went up around 3 to 4% last quarter. And this quarter is said that it's going to go up by another 3 to 4% again. And that is going to amount to a lot of inflation. Unfortunately, not a lot of people are aware of it. They just live their lives here and there. Because I'm running a business, so I have to be very cautious about the overhead that my business is currently generating. And from the way I look at things, well, things are really, really getting expensive. In fact, I've been hearing a lot of seniors in Singapore, they're really been talking about how things used to be so cheap. But then due to the insane monetary policy everywhere, it has trickled down to Singapore. Singapore is pretty good, but the thing is that it's very small. So it means that if a very big event were to happen in the US, it will trickle down to Singapore and we will feel the tremors or the aftershock, so to say. Things are definitely getting expensive and I think that the only way for people to actually hedge against it is most likely to speculate in cryptocurrency. I would say that cryptocurrency is one. Another is I would look into things that are potentially going to be big in the future. I would say education, education especially in the metaverse. Or something that's related to the metaverse is one of the things that I'm looking at. And another one is especially got to do with the climate change thing, which will come up soon. 
I'm looking into carbon credits, which is something which a lot of people are also looking into it, but it's still a very small space. There are a couple of carbon credit cryptocurrencies that are trading, and I suggest that you guys look at it. This is by no way financial advice. This is just things that I've been looking at. Carbon credits, education. I would definitely be interested if someone were to launch like an education cryptocurrency project. It's definitely on the blockchain or here and there. It can be launched on the Theta network if you guys are interested. And I do know that VeChain is going to be pretty huge because of their stablecoin that's released. And the underlying project behind VeChain is also pretty solid. So I'll definitely look into it. Everything else is just speculation. And so if you enter on a speculative project, you better have a good exit strategy. I would suggest taking profits. Don't even hold that long. The moment it hits like 2 or 3x, take off some. 4 or 5x, take off some. Don't hold it too long because you're exposing yourself too much risk. Because you're here for the long game, especially like Gods Unchained. I have seen some cards go up to very high values and it just dropped down. I do believe that most of the cards are tied to Ethereum, which means that if Ethereum goes down, most of the value of the cards will go down together. And if you are holding bits and pieces of many cards, I would say that's a good strategy because there's a fixed cap to the amount of copies of the card. So if you were to buy like 10 copies of Reap, the, the death card which uh, destroys a creature and then you heal back, I would say that's a very baller move. Another card that I would say I would suggest buying is Canonize. Canonize is pretty good. I'll say in the long term, Canonize wouldn't get nerfed because it's high cost, but it's very efficient, especially when you slap it on. Uh, what's the card? Something which is what, especially in white light, which is very common. You just slap on the Canonize onto the 2 mana 3 2 reward or the 3 mana 3 3 reward. You're pretty good to go. And so let's get to today's topic, the craziest cards in Gods Unchained. There are a lot of crazy cards, by the way. I would say that when I play Legends of Runeterra, there isn't that much crazy cards in the overall pool. Maybe here and there, I would say they are not overly OP or overpowered. But there definitely needs to be some adjustments because of the power levels that some cards have. But in Gods Unchained, which is very reminiscent to Hearthstone, there are really a lot of cards which are just insanely powerful for its cost, for its effect, for what it does. And to the point in which when you're playing the basic set or the core set, some of the cards are just fine. It's not overbearing, too powerful here and that. But the thing is that when I were to compare some of these cards compared to other cards that exist in the pool for the same mana cost, it's just really night and day. And fortunately for the most overpowered cards or the craziest cards in God's Unchained, most of them are found in the core set. I don't think you can find that many in the Genesis set, Trial of the God set, and most importantly, the Defined Order set. But nonetheless, due to the core set being frequently released into the pool, because you can unlock it by playing more of the game, that means that overall, the the quality of the cards will most likely just be core sets, and everything else will be... If you can afford having Genesis, Trial of the Gods, then so be it. And that's a good thing, which means that most of the overpower cards just exist in the core set and everybody will have access to it, which overall dilutes the general state of the game, which means that eventually everybody will have access to these crazy cards. And I'm glad that Gods Unchained or the team behind it will be frequently trying to balance the cards in the core set. And so let's talk about the first card, which I think is extremely, extremely, extremely crazy. The first one is Illuminate. Illuminate is the magic one magic god one mana spell. Either you what's it called? Discover or try to set the top card of your deck or you do two damage. For one mana, that's crazy. There is a card in Legends of Terra which is very similar to Illuminate, except that it costs two mana and it doesn't allow you to set the top card of your deck. The card is Mystic Shot in Legends of Terra. 
And the crazy thing about one mana deal two is that most of the one mana cards usually have two life or less. And the power levels of Illuminate is just too powerful because one mana deal two is essentially saying that this one mana card can potentially deal two damage to a one to a four cost card. Because when you look across the board, a lot of one to four mana cards sometimes have two health or less. Especially if they have low health means that effects are good. And in Magic, when you have access to a card like Illuminate, and you have other stuff in the magic archetype such as spell boost, it means that it's a cheap one mana removal. And the back mechanic in the game, which is the coin mechanic, which gives you additional mana, means that you can play something in spell boost, you can coin and you just cast Illuminate, which can easily deal 3 damage for one mana. And that in itself is just very very powerful. I can go on and on about Illuminate and about Star Shard Bolt along with the... There's a 2 mana spell that this deals 3 damage. But honestly, think that 1 mana for deal, for dealing 2 damage, potentially 3 with spell boost is something which I don't really want to see in the game. I think that Illuminate should at least be costing 2 mana for its effect. Because you don't just get to destroy 1 creature with 2 health or less. You can even discover a card and sell it to a top of your deck, which is a double. You can actually pick what you want. You don't necessarily have to destroy it with 2 effects, which is too crazy of a card. And in general, I would say that most of the magic cards or the removal are just... Can you imagine Mage in Hearthstone? And then you have Magic in Gods Unchained. When you compare these two archetypes, Mage just feels very tame. But in Gods Unchained, the Magic God is just insanely powerful. Because most of the effects are just too damn strong. You have the option of having two, sometimes you have three. And which is something which I do not want to see because it's too valuable for a card, especially Illuminate. I want to hit other cards, but the, the, the icing on the cake, or the main part of the overall iceberg, I would say is Illuminate. And I would definitely want to look into Illuminate and make it at least 2 mana, for dealing 2 damage, potentially 3, because of the back mechanic. If there's no back mechanic, fine, 1 mana to deal 2 damage is fine. But with the back mechanic, Illuminate can potentially become 3 damage, which potentially deal with almost everything on your opponent's side. And that is the case for Illuminate. I would say that some players might disagree with me, but if you play other card games, you'll definitely agree with me why Illuminate is just too damn strong for 1 mana. Second card is, okay this is no surprise, Orkish Elite. I think Orkish Elite is very very strong for 5 mana, 3-6, Blitz, Twin Strike. Which means that for potentially 5 mana, this card can, deal, can do a plus 2 and a plus 6 favor to you by destroying 2 small creatures. For 5 mana, this card is essentially the best stabilizer on the board. You can buff it up with other cards in your hand, you can do like... Yeah, I know there are some spells which can give, the, give it health, some cards which can give it extra damage. But Orkish Elite, in a sense, has such an incredibly powerful stat line. For 5 mana, 3 6, you're getting 5 mana worth of 9 stats. And the health is incredibly high. For a card, for, for, for a 5 mana card, that's fine. But the thing is that it has Blitz and Twin Strike. If it's 5 mana, Twin Strike, I think no one will play it. But because it has Blitz, is the reason why everybody is including this kind of deck. I can't imagine a war deck without Orkish Elite because of how insanely powerful this card is. Especially when it comes to stabilizing the board. Because most of the time when you're running war, war does not necessarily have the best early game. Unless you're running the aggro version. But for a 5 mana 3-6, it's a very good stabilizer. Especially if you're playing the control war or the mid-range war. You can just slap it on if you have Enduring Shield. It potentially is a plus 3. Maybe even a plus 4, which means that it gains 12 favor just on one card alone. And for 5 mana, it is very powerful. 
it is not as powerful as pre-nerf guild enforcer but all she did is just too damn good for its stat line because it has blitz and twin strike which means that it's always 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 going to trade for at least two cards and in some scenario it can be three or up to four which means that Orkish Elite replaces itself with three other cards which is something which is very valuable and it's just too very strong in fact if you were to ask me whether how I would love Orkish Elite I would say that if you remove Blitz this card would just be weak useless and no one will even play it at all but if you were to remove Twin Strike this card is actually still pretty viable but it really doesn't fit into it because it carries two axes right so the only logical way I would hit Orkish Elite is to turn it into a 5 mana 2-6 which in itself is very powerful because having it at a 3-6 means that it can potentially destroy almost every 1-4 to four drop, especially on turn 5. And that's usually how we'll nerf Orkish Elite. And the third card is also from the War God. No surprise, because I think War potentially has the most powerful cards in the game, especially for the core set. Third card is Enduring Shield. Ever since I started playing Gods Unchained, there is one card in my mind which always pisses me off, and nothing pisses me off more than Enduring Shield. There's so many times which Enduring Shield saves my opponent. My opponent can just play the aggro version, he can play like a total clown. But Enduring Shield always gives him an extra layer of protection. Because when you look at Enduring Shield, it gives you Protected. And Protected is basically Barrier in Legendary Terra or Divine Shield in Hearthstone. We all know how powerful the Divine Shield mechanic or the Barrier mechanic is. Essentially you can slap it on. And you can control when Enduring Shield triggers because it is a weapon. And when you attack, it will give you and it will give you a protected to I think the strongest creature that you control. And if you're running a deck like War, which means that you're gonna have one creature at a time, you can easily control which creature gets protected. And you're gonna force your opponent into very awkward states of the game where they have to choose either to make a two for one trade or to sacrifice one attack and one additional attack to clear the enduring shield minion. Because in war, there is certain cards which are just very powerful that is packed together and protected. There is another round which is the 4 mana plus 3 plus 3. And then there is everyone's favorite 6 mana spell in war which is the... What's it called? Is it... Is it I, I think it's called another round. Let me just check it. I do not play that deck so I will not know the name of that card. I think I might butcher it. The, form, the 6 mana one is called Soul Survivor. And Soul Survivor, I think, is... Okay, I, w I wanted to list Soul Survivor as one of the most problematic cards or the most craziest cards in God's Unchained, but I didn't because Soul Survivor can be mitigated by you just efficiently trading and ensuring the opponent does not have a bigger board than you or does not have one creature on the board after their, their phase because going to turn 6 and your opponent has Soul Survivor, you're just going to lose on the spot. Because Soul Survivor, if you guys don't know, is 6 mana spell, give 5 strength to one of your creatures, then do its strength as damage to each other creature. I think a lot of people are sleeping on Soul Survivor. I think that this Soul Survivor is just way stronger than Apocalypse now, way stronger than every other removal in the game. It's definitely stronger than... What's it called? The Hunt, which is a 6 mana spell from nature. Honestly, when I look at War, War has just so many powerful cards, to the point in which I can't really pick too many. Because everything here is just damn strong, especially when you look at the Control War deck which is around, the I'm looking at one deck which is around 1.65 Ethereum which is currently sitting at $5,000? 5000 USD? To play this deck and to lose is just a slap in the face. Because this war deck reminds me of the good old days of Control Warrior back in 2014. 
if you lay control warrior and lose, you can just quit the game. Because at that point of time, nobody had access to all these very powerful warrior cards. Because nobody wanted to spend money in the game. They're just free to play all the way. But to a certain point, you can't really be free to play because you need to access adventures. And so the control warrior in the past really reminds me of the current control war deck in Gods Unchained. It is insanely expensive and the cards are just too powerful. And if you play and you lose, you can just quit the game. Because there's no way you're losing this deck unless you draw all the high cost cards early in the game. But still, the, the mitigation and all the cards in war, especially like Enduring Shield, Orkish Elite, and like I mentioned, Soul Survivor, there's just no way you're going to lose the game. In fact, I think that the war deck is way more powerful than Bot White Death. Maybe they are equal. But because you have access to Reap, and Reap is just the one card answer to the Control Warrior deck. And that's one thing that everybody has to notice. So these two decks are going to sit at the top of the food chain for a very, very long time. And the thing is that all these players who are playing these two decks are potentially going to be the ones that are going to set the meta. The problem is because that they have access to the overall card supply, which is a problem in itself. And so for the future of Gods Unchained, I would say that two decks are going to dominate. It is the Control War deck, along with Bot White Death, which is Control Death. In a sense, I don't know why you guys call it Bot White Death, I just call it Control Death. And everybody will just understand what I'm saying. And that's why I say that War has just Enduring Shield. Enduring Shield is just crazy. Enduring Shield is the card that enables another round, enables Soul Survivor, enables Okishi Elite to be the crazy card that it is. And the fourth card, which is insanely powerful or crazy in Ghost Unchained, is another War card. It's called Carnage Sweep. I think Carnage Sweep, together with Soul Survivor in the same faction or the same god, is just... I have really no idea what Gods Unchained is trying to accomplish. Because when you look at the death mechanic or the death god, death god doesn't really have that much removal other than Apocalypse now and the the 6 mana spell that destroys everything and you take 8 damage in the end. War just has too many strong cards. And Carnage Sweep is just very powerful. Okay, Carnage Sweep is a 5 mana spell, deal 2 damage to all creatures. If you have a rarely equipped, remove 3 durability and destroy all creatures instead. Did you just hear me? It's a 5 mana destroy everything. So you have a 6 mana that destroys everything, and you have a 5 mana that destroys everything. But of course you have to sacrifice a weapon, but who cares, right? You're clearing the board, you're essentially going to get 9 favor, 12 favor, 15 favor from it. And you can't play against Kanesu. You can't play around Kanesu, because it's 5 mana. Most decks, if you're not playing control, or you're not playing aggro, you're most likely going, no, you're not playing control, you're going to develop the board. And so if your opponent equips a weapon, or a relic, and then if you do not have a uh, SWAT Basilisk, you do not have the, the card that destroys weapon or destroys a relic, on turn 5 your opponent just play Carnage Sweep and just lose on the spot. Because anything from then on, warrior the war god is just going to slap on Okish Elite, it's going to drop OD Valkyrie's Herald, it's going to drop Anus, it's going to drop Enar, Herectus, Hector, and all that good stuff. It's very hard for you to recover from Carnage Sweep. And it's certainly, you are not going to recover from Soul Survivor. And that's why I say that if a god can have access to two of these powerful cards, Carnage Sweep and Soul Survivor, back to back, together with Enduring Shield. And here's the best part, guys. Carnage Sweep, Soul Survivor, Carnage Sweep and Enduring Shield are core cards, which means that the more you play the game, the more access you have to these cards. And Soul Survivor is a Divine Order card. And this means that currently, if anybody were to act, possess these three cards in a war deck, they are pretty much going to have a damn good time. But of course, these three cards only work 
perfectly well in the control war deck, which means that they have to spend more money or either play very well to have access to all these expensive cards. But really, when I look at Carnage Sweep, it's just crazy. Carnage Sweep is just everything that Soul Survivor wanted to accomplish, but it just does it better because if you don't have a weapon equipped, it just deals 2 damage to everything. And 2, two damage to everything is crazy. And, most, and this deck has a lot of weapons in the deck, which means that it's just going to board wipe on turn 5. Earlier than board wipe death, earlier than soul survival, earlier than everything else. It's certainly earlier than magic, it's certainly earlier than mag magic, nature, and all that. And when I look at Mechanic Sweep, right, for 5 mana, yeah, I know it's a core card in the in the supply. But the thing is that Mechanic Sweep, it's just. You know, the first time I played against it, when I look at the card, it has two effects. Honestly, if I were to nerf this card, right, or balance it, I think Carnage Sweep is just ridiculous. Like Soul Survivor. Because there's in, in other card games, there's a Soul Survivor, and it's called Shadow Flame in Warlock Curbstone. I don't really think, I don't really know if Warlock's Shadow Flame has been nerfed, but all I can say is that Carnage Sweep and Soul Survivor, you have these two cards that exist in the same god. These cards that exist at the same time, it's just asking for trouble. And for Carnage Sweep, right, there's only one thing that I can think of to make it more balanced. It is that if your Relic does not have 3 durability, you can't use it at all. Because the current limitation is that if your weapon just has 1 durability, you can just cast it and destroy everything, which is broken. I don't know that if Carnage Sweep were to have removed 3, right, if it doesn't have 3, it just deals 2 damage to everything. And during shield will just be useless. Nobody will play it together in Carnage Sweep. And this actually incentivizes players to run weapons which have 3 or more durability. Because all I can think of is that if you're just going to play Carnage Sweep and your weapon has 1 durability, it shouldn't even be activated at all. It'll just be destroyed 2 to all creatures. It shouldn't be destroyed everything at a cost of 1 durability. And that's one way I think I can nerf Carnage Sweep, which is to have... You must have 3 durability or more. If not, you can't cast Carnage Sweep. You'll just destroy 2 creatures to everything. And that's one way in which I will hurt Carnage Sweep. Because the big problem is that this card is core, which means that every player has access to it. And that's why this card is to get nerfed. If it's some other set which cannot be existed, then sure, can. But the fact that this card is easily accessible and it just destroys everything for 5, I think that it has to get nerfed. This is... In fact, when I first play, started playing Legendary Terra, there wasn't that many cards which I have a big problem with. But for this game, there are just so many cards which are just too powerful. And this is just crazy. Especially you won't face it during the early parts on your way to Mythic for the first time. But the moment when you hit Mythic, you're going to face these cards and you just want to face form yourself. It's really quite infuriating when you look at cards like Soul Survivor, when you see your opponent dropping cards like Demogorgon and Pyramid Warden. It's just very demoralizing. And the fifth card, this is... A card which I have personally think that shouldn't even exist in the first place. It is belongs to Light. And I'm sure you guys can guess it already. It is Light's Levy. Gosh, guys. I think Light's Levy is potentially the only reason people play Light in the first place. When I look at Light and all the cards, if you're, not, if you're playing the Zoo version of the deck, in fact, the only way you can run Light is Zoo because the, cards, the card quality in Light is just terrible. It's just really, really bad. Light Slavery is the one saving grace of Light. And the thing is that Light Slavery is the saving grace and the most powerful card in the overall Light faction, or the Light God. Light Slavery is so crazy that it can turn anything your opponent has into yours as early as turn 3. 
I do know that it's a limitation of three, two attack or less. But think about it, guys. Two attack or less. A lot of the cards in the game have two attack or less, and they have very powerful effects, such as Pyramid Warden, such as you know, Tavern Brawler, Master Tactician, even Sun the Moderator, another counter card, even Watchtower of Agrador. And most probably Voltimer and some of the magic legendaries. Or the magic uh yeah, is it called legendary? Yeah, magic legendary cards. And Light Slavery is the one card answer to everything. To almost everything that a control deck is playing. And that is in itself the saving grace and also the most powerful card. Because when you look at light, right, it doesn't really have that many powerful cards. And Light Slavery is just on a whole new level. And that's why I can say that when I look at Ghost Unchained and the card supply or the overall pool of cards in Ghost Unchained, I would say that the weakest god in the overall game is Light. And the only thing that's saving it is Light Slavery. Without Light Slavery, I can tell you that god is going to suffer the most horrible death ever. And the whole concept of the zoo deck means that you have to have an early presence. If not, you're just going to lose boys. Really. I can tell you the number of times when I play against an opponent who knows what he's doing versus play doesn't know what he's doing. A person knows what he's doing, right? When he plays play against Light, right? The only way is to suffocate the light player. You can't go face because light's ability is to buff up everything to have insanely high amounts of health, trade everything to oblivion, and then have a such a dominating bot that you can't answer. Because you have ward in the deck in the form of let me take a look at the light cards. Yeah, in the form of those cards you have ward, which means that your bot clear doesn't really do anything to them. Cards such as the uh, the two mana three two, which is the uh, that's one, the Bright Mage. I think Bright Mage is strong. It's not overpowered. And there's another one which I personally run, which is the 2-mana 3-2-1. I can't remember what it's called. But because you have access to both of those cards, it means that your opponent with the block there, those two cards will survive. Unless they have Apocalypse now. But by then, Apocalypse now will be useless because they'll be dead already. Because Light's ability to end games is just crazy. And there, I do know that there are some cards in Light which are more expensive than others, such as Highborn Knight, such as Master of Indulgence, which most players will not have access to. Because some players just do not want to run Highborn Knight and Master Indulgence because it belongs to the old to the Genesis. Is it Genesis? Yeah, it belongs to Genesis or Child of the Gods. And those cards currently cost around hundred dollars and twenty dollars respectively. And to have access to those cards means that you need to invest a high amount of capital or you started the game early. And there's a very big difference between a, a person who started playing Ghost Unchained last year and a person who started playing recently. I mean last last year and recently. It's like night and day. The, the light zoo deck that they run is very different. And the only difference that both players have is the light slavery. I would think that light slavery is only the reason why zoo light is playable. And yeah, that's about it. In fact, if you ask me whether I would love light slavery, I can tell you that I wouldn't love light slavery at all. But it's just, you know, it's in a strange position where if you don't love light slavery, right, the entire zoo deck wouldn't even function at all. And so... I think for the current state of the game, Light Slavery will go unpunished unless unless more light cards are being released, more light cards become incredibly strong and definitely I can tell you that Light Slavery will definitely get nerfed. And the next card This is a uh, no surprise, it is none other than Magic Missile Launcher. Another war card. And like I mentioned in Gods and Chain, you won't know the difference between what is overpowered and balanced until you reach mythic. 
and I still remember the first game which I played in Mythic. It's against a war deck. And when my opponent slapped down Magic Missile Launcher, my expression on my face was utter disbelief. I cannot imagine a card like Magic, Magic Missile Launcher that exists in the game. It has 3 effects for 4 mana. It's a 4 mana relic, 3 damage with 2 durability. Its effect is Blitz, which means that the turn that you play Magic Missile Launcher, it can attack. And 3 damage on turn 4 is a lot. It, it can potentially deal with everything your opponent has. But its effect, its other two effects is the reason why I got inspiration for this episode. It is afterlife due to damage to two random creatures. So it's basically a one card for four advantage. Correct? Blitz destroy one. Second attack destroy another. And afterlife destroy two random do two damage to two random enemy creatures. Which is actually it can do with four creatures. And and at the end of it, <coughs> you're gonna heal a god for four. How does that sound balanced? You're going to heal your god for 4. It means that the 2 attacks that you did will actually be healed back. So it's the 4 mana, win the game. I do know that a lot of players just say, hey, 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 uh, there are some other cards which are better. But you can't, but you can't reason against Magic Missile Launcher. It's just insane. And I can tell you that when I see Magic Missile Launcher, I just want to rage quit. I don't think that any player will have access to this card. How much does this card cost? 0.1887E for a common card. It is almost 0.2E, which is $700 for a common card. I do not know what set does Magic Missile Launcher belong to. Let me just take a look at it. Set. Is it Etherbots? I think it is. Browse. Let's, let's do a browse on Token Trove. Wait, where the heck is it? Rankings? Browse. God's Unchain? Yeah, let's just look at God's Unchain cards, huh? I think it belongs to Etherbots. My gosh, Etherbots really has really powerful cards. Magic Missile Launcher. It's currently $581. The cheapest copy of it. Well, guys, this card is insane. I can tell you. I, I, I when, when I look at cards like Magic Missile Launcher, 4 mana, 3 to Blitz, Afterlife, deal 2 damage to 2 many creatures, and heal a god for 4. Okay, you know what? Hold up, hold up, hold up. This card is just crazy. It's, it's just too powerful. Anybody which has played card games before know that this card is just... Pack it up, boys. I'm, I'm just gonna concede. It's a it's a 4 mana. Destroy 4 and heal god for 4. No other legendary can do that. No other card at turn 4 can do that. And all I can say is that if you see your opponent running Magic Missile Launcher, you might as well just concede the game. Because he's just gonna drop Hector. He's gonna drop Anus. He's gonna drop the avatar of war and you're just gonna lose the game there is no fighting against magic missile launcher and that's why i say the only time in which you can counter magic missile launcher is to have another magic missile launcher that you have which means that your collection must be on par with your opponent and you most likely won't face this card unless you play on the rank weekend and you face a guy with a control war deck which has five thousand dollars in terms of value and you're just gonna flat out get destroyed by him because his card quality is way better than yours period Point blank. No contest. And the seventh and final card, and this is something which I personally have a problem against, is Underbrush Ball. Underbrush Ball is Black Dragon on steroids. And the cost of one Underbrush Ball, let me just check it out. How much does Underbrush Ball cost currently? 
underbrush ball currently costs $128.91. And all you can say is that if you face an underbrush ball and your opponent is running in nature, it's a high chance he's going to have Chiron in the deck. He's most likely going to have Selena. And you know what? If your opponent plays an underbrush ball, you just lose. Because this card is way better than Blitz. It's way better than Black Jaguar. And for 2 mana, you just play it, right? And let's say you, you do... You do the what's the what's the thing called? You do a bag, you have one mana advantage. Especially if you're going second. If you're going second with underbrush ball, you just win the game. That's all I can say. Your opponent drops a one drop. He can either play light, he plays uh what's the card called? The one mana one one. Wait, uh I really can't remember it. Yeah, that's the thing. Here's the funny part, I can't even remember what that card is called. Let me just look it up. Wait, uh, let me scroll through Zoo Light. There's one card which is one mana one one. Whoa, this guy doesn't even play that card. I I, I personally played I think you guys get it's the card that constantly gets uh plus one health each time you summon a creature. Let's see if he plays it. Okay, let's just say for for example's sake, your opponent plays Blind Martyr on turn one and something else because he wants to buff it up. And then you just drop underbrush ball, that's a plus one. Instantly, turn two. It doesn't matter if you're confused. Because its effect is a 2 mana 3 3 confused. At the end of the turn, Underbrush Ball is summoned. Attack a random enemy creature. So let's say your opponent has a 1 attack creature with 3 life. He plays Street Conjurer on turn 1. And then you back, you draw Underbrush Ball. Boom, easy. You just did a plus 1. And usually the game just ended from there. Period. It's 3 attack. 2 mana removal. And it if you move something out of the turn, your opponent can't react to it because this is not Legends of Terra, this is not Yu-Gi-Oh, this is not Magic. You can't respond to what your opponent play. Underbrush Ball is just super, super crazy. It's not an enemy character, which means that it can attack the life, which means that it potentially can mitigate you losing a creature. It's attack an enemy random creature. And it's such a powerful turn 2 play that if you don't have it, your opponent plays it, you just lose on the spot. This is not me being pessimistic, but really you just lose on the spot. If you are not playing anything that can counter Underbrush Ball, back coin, turn 2 kind of thing, you're just outright going to lose the game. And these are the cards which I think are just insanely crazy in God's Anjali. This is really the 7 cards which I just think, right? I don't even know why it even exists the game in the first place. It's just so, so ridiculous. Especially I think Underbrush Ball, Magic Missile Launcher, and Enduring Shield. These are the three cards which I have the most problem with. Underbrush Ball being part of the Genesis set. Oh my gosh, guys. I, I'm just so infuriated when I see Underbrush Ball. When my opponent plays a nature deck. Because I know that, let's say me and my opponent are in Mythic, right? The only thing that differentiates us is card quality. If both are at the same skill level, and I don't believe anybody's on the same skill level as me. He just plays Underbrush Ball. He can be just weaker than me, but because he played the game longer, he's just going to destroy me. On turn 2, flat, and just he can outdevelop me. And some of the nature cards are just so powerful, especially in the Genesis sets, and you just lose on the spot. And that's the biggest problem I have with Underbrush Ball. Because of his ability for a plus 1, and you can't react to it. There's no randomness to it. Because on turn 1, turn 2, you only have to go at 1 creature at a time. So if your creature has 1 attack and 3 health, you just drop Underbrush Ball, you just win on the spot. And yeah, that's my biggest argument against Underbrush Ball. And the problem is that it's not even accessible to everyone. And that's the point I'm trying to say. And so what am I going to do with my God's token? This is the final part of today's episode. What am I doing with my God's token? And I did see the roadmap of the game. Personally, I don't have that much gods on Immutable X. Most of it is from the weekly rewards. Most of the gods that I have is on the exchange. 
which are most likely going to trade here and there. But currently the price is so low, there's no point trading. As so for the roadmap wise, I heard there's going to be active staking. So I have two strategies. Either I'm going to buy cards with God's token, or I'm going to hold it in Immutable X. Potentially wait for it to have the active staking thing activated because of the roadmap said that there's going to be active staking. And from there, I'm just going to sit and farm it. I don't think I'll be spending my God's token on cards unless I really do see something which is worth buying. In fact, for me, I'm going to do an episode where the cards which I'm going to buy this month, I'm going to probably going to do it every month, one episode, what cards I'm potentially going to buy. And in terms of the roadmap, I don't know that there's going to be a world tournament, there's going to be a sealed deck format, but until it releases, there's going to be a lot of problems because God's Unchained as it is, is an incredibly unpolished game. Bound to be a lot of problems here and there. But I do have a very optimistic outview of God's Unchained. I don't think that God's Unchained will be the premier card game for blockchain moving forward. There will potentially be a competitor or an even better game down the road. But as of now, I'm incredibly optimistic of the future of God's Unchained and I'll definitely be playing this game for at least a year until maybe 2023 start. Until then, I'll decide whether I want to carry on this game or I'll just play something else. Another blockchain game maybe. But I'll say that from now all the way to next year, the value of gods will definitely go up. The cards will definitely go up and I do expect to liquidate my positions. I'll just going to hold on to cards which I'm playing. Other than that, I won't be collecting anything. Because when you think about it, everything on the blockchain is fake. It has no value and it's most likely going to go to zero one day. So my only advice is for you to potentially cash out cards that you're not playing, convert it to real life money, or maybe you want to put it into something which can give you 10% gains every year, so you can live off everything that you have. And all I can say is that try to minimize the risk that you have in the game, sell off the cards you don't need, and cash it out, hold it on, do something with it, invest here and there. And that's potentially all I have to say. That's all I have for today, guys. See you guys on the next episode, and that's game.